Hello and welcome to the I Do Consent podcast with me, your host, Jen Wilson, also known as Irregular Jen. Season 2 is here with the Consent Compass launching on the International Day of Consent, 30th of November, 2023, continuing this work to platform consent as a practice and a tool for making positive changes from the personal to the global. Thanks for listening in. Welcome to the I Do Consent podcast, recording this episode in November 2021. My guest today is Rivka Rubin. Rivka is working in the field of organisational, team and personal development, from a guiding principle to increase care for each other and ourselves, connecting to her belief in living life free from pressure. She's the initiator of upwording, a practice of evolutionising thinking through our everyday use of language towards a desirable world for all. She presents upwording at international conferences, congresses, festivals and to networks. She's also a joint artistic director of Islington Mill in Salford near Manchester, a queering community actively practising care and well-being in a liberatory environment. Welcome, Rivka. Welcome, Jenny. Hi. Um, so I thought um, it would be great to start by talking about l- use of language, the everyday use of language and how um, that is around consent and our self-consent in particular. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So everyday use of language is what upwording is focusing on. Um, what Aberding is focusing on is to become aware of our habitual everyday use of language mm-hmm. so that we can notice where there are certain words or phrases that might be hindering or helpful to our communications with ourselves and each other, mm-hmm. which include consent or include um, agreements. Mm-hmm. Or maybe preclude. Mm. And the noticing of those particular words would then in, invite a revealing of what concept might be underpinning the use of those words. Um, so, as an example, mm. or maybe let's say the point of upwording is the invitation of upwording is for us to begin to notice how much authoritarianism and let's say concepts of superiority mm. or hierarchical positioning is alive mm. and kicking well in our everyday habitual inherited use of language without us realising it most of the time. Yes, absolutely. So this is something that I've been talking about quite a bit in the in the concept of consent and consent culture, is this complex interplay between ourself 
and the conversations we have with ourselves and and at an intimate interpersonal level and the culture that we live within which is patriarchal white supremacist capitalist etc there are power structures and hierarchies in that culture that we've been socialized into and are very embedded in the ways we communicate and the ways we think so this kind of idea of being the being the change in the world really does start with the way we speak to ourselves and each other um so talk, take us through some of the core ideas or examples in upwording can you Rivka? i mean i know that um and we can signpost people to um the full kind of podcast of your own where you explain the full principles of upwording but in the short time we've got a kind of whistle stop of some key ideas in upwording yeah so just um add it literally uh, attaching it to what you just said before uh i would say coercive mm. is the is is a really big one the belief that i have to make myself do things i have to force myself do things mm. otherwise i won't do anything mm. or i have to make you and force you or others to do things and without that pressure which you mentioned before mm. without that pressure there is a somehow a very um i i think quite hidden belief that actually unless we force people and pressure them uh we're lazy mm. it's a deeply mistrusting of self and other mm. so what it does is is a uh, provide a an idea that you've got to have people and i'm using got carefully here mm. you have to have people in inverted commas that uh, run things that manage things that rule over people because unless there is that hierarchy of positioning uh, people will just run wild they'll be feral they'll be bad they'll do horrible things so we've got to force them to do good things uh-huh often that's that's a sort of a belief in there there's something around wanting people to be safe and happy unfortunately that very forcing and coercing and pressurizing and making ourselves and others do things which then also means we don't wait for consent yes because that's yeah. not the objective um it means that actually it often um facilitates the opposite mm-hmm. frustration resistance and actually quite often a, 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 um, a resistance so that I actually won't now do the thing that you want me to do because you're trying to force me because so far I have not yet met anybody who responds with motivation delight and enthusiasm to coercion interestingly enough so yes. that's one element so I mean we I, I think most of us when we think of coercion think of something as think of things that are very dark and obvious and manipulative and so on what you're talking about is the subtle coercion of the times that i know because uh, i've done a some upwording practice with you one of the big words for me that i notice a lot is should i really should do this now i uh, we should do, we should um give money to charity we should get the washing up done we should tidy the house i should uh be um 
getting up earlier and <laughs> absolutely so you, what you what what there is is also there's an added bit to that coercion it's a sort of a moralistic superior position mm-hmm. of how to live life mm-hmm. correctly according mm-hmm. to the speaker mm-hmm. or if it is an internal voice there'll mm-hmm. most likely be some externalized character mm-hmm maybe a parental or carer character or a teacher or a societal one. Mm -hmm. So whilst it is our own voice we might be hearing when I should myself, it'll be a representative of something that's external. The most obvious would be religion. Mm. And it can be actually any any externalized hierarchical or even and and of course when we're being shoulded by others or I should you what you should really do is I am taking at that moment a position above you. I know what would be good or bad for you, what would be healthy or not, what would be right or wrong, and I shall dispense my wisdom upon you with a little bit of a pressure of should. Mm. It's not an invitation. It's like, well, it's obvious. Mm. Um, and I definitely at this moment could come across and might even think I know better than you do. Mm. So there's a real implication that either is actually intended or certainly can be heard of implication of, there's a real implication of stupidity, mm. can be, or wrongness. Therefore, mm. I give you my uninvited advice. So mm. it's, it's in the category of advice. If we're going to the sort of the pure coercion, coercive, then the representative words are, are more direct. They'll be, I, you, we must do this. Mm-hmm. And actually, when we take a little bit of time, we might go, oh, according to whom? Mm-hmm. Who says? How come? Mm. And that's the bit that upwording wants to invite us to do, is just do a little check. Going, A, must I? Must we? Mm-hmm. Or is it that the moment we are doing something, we have made a decision to do it? Mm-hmm. So the externalized becomes then actually an internal. Or is it maybe that actually maybe I no longer wish to do this or I don't want to do that mm. thing that I tell myself I must or I tell our team we must. So must, have to, need to is a little sneaky one. Sounds like a basic human need. It's still a real push. Um, or we need to do that. Um, and we got to. Yeah. I know I do quite a lot of those um, in pressured situations uh, around parenting, for example. You need to get dressed because <laughs> we have to go. Yeah. And, and what's the result of that when you're um, in a pressured situation and you use yeah, we need and have to? It just adds to the stress. It adds to yeah. the pressure. It shares. It puts that pressure on my child as well as myself. Um, it doesn't necessarily result in anything happening more quickly. No. Um, so if you want more pressure in your life, more stress, absolutely up on the need to have to must do's. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, when we feel pressure coming from the outside and when you gave my little introduction, I'm really talking about the self-induced pressure or the pressure we um, inadvertently are giving others mm. by by that um turning the what we feel as a pressure getting to school into even more pressure so um, how do we how do we upward that then let's take that example Rivka and and uh, you know if anyone's listening and going well how do I change this what do I I've noticed that shoulds and the musts and the have tos 
what how do I increase the, the pressure I mm. think um, ideally um, have a conversation outside that moment mm. which is which is around um, all the elements of life that you have you, you're talking about family at the moment that are important to you that might be getting to work whether you're employed or self-employed or exercise or learning etc and have a conversation with child about how can those be managed in the way that they're more joyful and delightful ideally all the time mm. and are actually underpinned by conscious choice making mm. so I might not be every day feeling like yeah I can't wait to go to school however I might be the child that goes yeah I actually do want to go to school or I do want to learn this or I want to meet my friends etc so therefore the daily going to school is a decision I've made we have made mm. and we'd like to do it in a time in the way that is not pressurizing for either for any person so how can we do that which also means that you're more likely and I've seen that happen over and over again that child person will will be much more self-managed yes because you're agreeing a time by which you want to leave the house in order to drop off Mm. a person to school and you go to where you want to go so there is an equality in that relationship Mm. I mean, I have been practicing this with my child who's 10 and I've noticed that lately she increasingly uses uh, phrases like I want to, um, even for things that I would have perceived as things that that are things that previously I might have had to, well, coerce her into doing. Like I want to tidy my bedroom um, because I want a tidy room to be in. Or, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. And also, um, I can is another one that she does quite a lot now. Yeah, so somewhere to, to move to the one to mm. or other versions would be prepared to, willing to, when mm. it's not the most exciting task. It still is, is decision inspired. It's choice driven, mm. which is not the same as having lots of choices. Mm. So want to, be willing to, prepare to, would like to, mm-hmm. love to, can't wait to. Mm-hmm. means that a little moment has happened where I'm going well I'm letting go it's a radical letting go of I'll quote you from what you've just said I had to coerce mm. to realising I don't have to coerce mm. I can actually have conversation or engagement for us to find a mutually suitable way of doing things or mm. agreement um, that means that when autonomy is not threatened, autonomy, freedom and choice isn't threatened, however little a person is, as soon as they understand language, really, I'd say, then um, we are more likely to get engagement and a willing corporation, a willing member of that team, in this case, house team, mm. of doing things together. What may happen is that child person goes, actually, I don't want and that is a bigger conversation mm. around, let's use the word consequences. So what 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 could happen if, mm. and what are the alternatives? And we can explore are there other ways? Again, more likely a person's a child is going to go around to going. Do you know what? Actually, I do want to go to school. There are certain things I don't like about it. If really child does not want to go to school, then it'd probably be really worth hearing that because something will be going on either there or inside child. Mm. That I would go, please don't ignore. Mm. Yes. Yes. Um, 
And it's it's that process, isn't it? It's a practice, really. And like consent is a practice. Um, this practice of noticing the language that we're using is very helpful because it helps us understand not not just noticing the words we're using and sort of um, going, oh no, I've said should, I shouldn't have said should, I'm shooting myself about shoulds, not <laughs> place, to, to notice the intention behind, you know, when I'm shooting myself, then there's a, a choice to be made, there is a consent to happen there well i maybe i do feel i should tidy my bedroom do i want to tidy my bedroom will i tidy my bedroom when will i tidy my bedroom yeah and as um as a, another fellow up order said actually sometimes just put time into it um and just i am tidying my bedroom mm. i i am picking up the phone mm. i am clearing the garden i am doing the bins it may not even require uh, a sort of mm. um, inviting, exciting word. I'd love to. Mm. I'm just doing it, and even that, by removing the must-have to need to, there is a step taken from externalizing responsibility, that external diktat, which also means that eventually I'll become really unhappy, and I will blame all those who are making me do all those things mm. because it's external. I haven't somehow consciously actually gone, I'm actually taking that action. So um, so when we do a lot of, um, it's related to obedience, really. Mm. If we start, if we're, if we're obeying, if we're teaching to obey, then we might want to consider that what can happen is people go, but it's not my fault. I only followed orders. Mm. I just did as told. It's not my responsibility. So what inadvertently we're teaching by saying obey me because I'm bigger, stronger, older, wiser, etc. is um, don't think, do as told. It's not your responsibility. So it's there's more complexity around that externalized diktat. And finally, also, um, as, as a friend said, uh, when I come out of have to, I externalize responsibility and control. When I come out of choose to or want to or decide to, I internalize responsibility and control. Mm. I am in responsibility. I am in charge. And therefore, I think to go into consent, I am much more likely to be aware of the impact that my actions, Mm. my words, may have on others that I know and others beyond that, mm. I'm more likely to start considering others in my immediate decisions because mm. I'm taking full responsibility for what I do. Absolutely. I mean, consent is it is about um, use of that personal agency, isn't it? And if we are um, encouraging people to shift that responsibility and accountability onto the person they're obeying then that's giving up that personal agency it's giving up that choice that agreement that consent um so we end up outside of consent very quickly when we use that kind of coercive language i think the other the other core principle um i'd like to touch on fairly briefly because i'm conscious of time is is the one of um the use of words like um, always and never um, and how that gets us into sort of fixed ways of thinking. Um, and and if we're about 
change making, which a lot of this work around consent is, then using those absolutes is very. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, can't or can. mm -hmm. So those absolutes or let's I'd call them the the, the limiting words. Mm -hmm. So when when we do go into the always and the never and everyone and no one, it is a generalization. And yet at the same time, we've been talking for a long time about let's not use generalizations. And yet they are in the everyday language. Mm. It's easy to kind of go, let's not. Um, there's a quite a step to literally not by noticing them and, and replacing them. So a, a, a real example is I um, when this happens, I always mm. respond in that way or I always feel like that. And actually, if we unpack it and just stop for a moment, is it really that? Every time this happens, I always respond in that way. Mm-hmm. If I go, I always get seasick on a boat. I'm giving myself a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've decided that it is so and will be so. I've looked into the future, into the looking glass, and I've decided I will always be seasick. Actually, is that correct? Is it that every time I've stepped my foot on a boat, I felt sick? No. So I could begin to open this up. And I'd say the trick here is... Um, to, to open that always is to go, has it always happened or has it never? Uh, is it all, is it been everyone and no one? Actually, no, it's sometimes and some people and at certain moments. And then go past tense, I have experienced. Mm. And then I have felt in those moments. So it, it opens up the possibility for something else to happen. Yes, because even if it, even if it is that every time you've stepped on a boat, you felt seasick um that's so far that's been your experience so far so putting that um you know I, it's not i always it's no. up until now my experience is absolutely yeah. so up until now every time i remember i'd even put that in there somehow to open it up more every time i remember being on a boat um that moved hmm. I felt sick to a greater or lesser extent. Mm. That's up until now, so maybe it could be different. Mm. And this, by the way, is a personal example where I, where I did do that with myself, and then I went on a boat and I wasn't sick at all. And now either that's pure coincidence or miracle or definitely something, uh, you know, happened there. So, and the same with the can't. Maybe the can't is uh, I can't yet. Mm. If I really want to, do I really want to? Well, if I put some time into it and some focus and I do a practice and every day, I could. Mm. Or maybe the can't is a stand in for I don't want to. Mm. And we could be honest and go, do you know what? I don't want to. I don't want to learn to do accounting. Mm. There are people who love it. Mm. I I don't wish to. Or I don't want to learn to play the piano. You know, that I can't play the piano. Uh, Or I can't play the piano well enough to perform on a stage. Yeah. But I I could learn to play the piano that well. Apparently, I I don't play the piano. (laughs) It's just a statement of... So a lot of the upwording is about becoming um, descriptive Mm. um, rather than prescriptive. Mm. The should is a prescription uh, and liberating rather than limiting and motivating. Mm. Um, an invitation, a request is definitely motivating because it facilitates the possibility of a no. Mm. But when we go into again consent, as soon as the possibility of the no is there, consideration can happen. And I might, may well give a really consciously considered willing yes. 
mm. which I may revoke tomorrow or in yeah. five minutes. Um, what I uh, rather than feeling I ought to mm. have to or should do because I don't know because others do it, etc. Mm. I mean, th- those are two areas of upwinding. There are more. Yes. Um, and we haven't got time to cover them all in one podcast. Perhaps I'll have you back as another a guest at another time to talk around some of the other ways that um, we're developing projects together around upwording and some of the innovations around those crucial critical conversations that I know you're working on, for example, um, with Charles. Um, I think I think we should probably wrap it up there from the point of view of the time we've got today. But it's been really should we do that, Jenny? Should we, or would we like to? (laughs) I think it's time. So let's do that. We'd like Um, to. And uh, I will um, add to the end of this podcast the links and things where people can find out more about upwording and listen to your full podcast that takes people through all of the principles uh, that are core to upwording if they want to find out more. Um, Before we say goodbye, I've been asking people in the run up to the day of consent on the 30th of November, um, if you had one message for the International Day of Consent, Rivka, what would your message be? The one that's really alive with me is a decision to do some radical letting go. Mm -hmm. And it might be that we can radically let go of the whole concept and the word normal. Mm. And I've just written here before, abdicate the norm. It's a little play on abnorm, you know, because if we let go of normal, we also don't get the abnormal. Um, And in relation to where we started pressure, mm-hmm. um, we could let go of the belief that stress is an acceptable part of living and working. Mm. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> That's a good invitation. Thank you very much, Rivka, for spending this time with us today. And uh, goodbye. Bye. Thank you very much, Jenny. Thanks for listening to the I Do Consent podcast. Please like, share and bring your comments or questions about anything that you've heard on the podcast to me, Jen Wilson, on social media as Irregular Jen or find me on the web at irregular.org.uk forward slash I Do Consent. You can sign up for the mailing list and find out more about the frameworks, training, support and other things available for practicing consent and to support the International Day of Consent, please also visit idoconsent.org. And remember, keep it curious, kind and consensual. <laughs>